Langham Logistics has grown over three decades in the shipping and warehousing space. Our main goal is to get your products through the warehouse and transported around the country when you need them. Kathy Langham, an Indiana entrepreneur who spent 30 years carving a niche in the traditionally male-dominated world of logistics. Her business success story has a lot of twists and turns, from co-founding Langham Logistics with her brother and sister, to the President of the United States walking through her warehouse, to emerging as a major player in the pharmaceutical supply chain. Motown, Detroit-born, Indiana-bred Kathy Langham, the leader of Langham Logistics, a major Hoosier business player in moving goods across the United States and around the globe. She's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Kathy Langham has a knack for organizing, storing, and moving products. Born in Detroit, her family moved to Indy when Kathy was in eighth grade. Her dad took a job at Allison Transmission. And well, as they say, the rest is history. Kathy graduated from the IU Kelly School of Business and just three years after that opened two franchises for trucking and air freight. Fast forward to today, more than 30 years later, and Kathy Langham is still making her mark on Hoosier business. And I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by the president and CEO of Langham Logistics, Kathy Langham. And Kathy, uh, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Gary, it's great to be here. Great to see you. Well, you know, Langham is, uh, uh, you know, to me, just synonymous with the uh, distribution and logistics sector, a gold standard really in the sector. And you, you know, you guys have been around for a while, but you're really, it seems like as an observer, you're really on a roll. I mean, I see really big facilities popping up around central Indiana. Give us a, a thumbnail description of Langham logistics today and uh, kind of what's going on. Yeah. Well, thanks for the question. So Langham's been around a while. Now, my husband always says, say 25 plus years, or you sound too old, <laughs> but it's closer to 35 years. Wow. <laughs> so we, yeah. We've been around a long time. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're popping up buildings all over the place. So the last four years, I would say we have taken a deeper dive into the temp controlled warehousing space. So it, it, even though a lot of our business is transportation, once you start putting up more buildings, everyone sees it. You know, yeah. before we fill our buildings, I call them my big marketing pieces because they're <laughs> right. out there. Everyone says something. But uh, most of our, we've got about a million and a half square feet of warehouses around the country. Mm -hmm. We do business with seven of the top 20 life science companies out of those buildings and we're continuing to expand. So we're in California, Arizona, Indiana, um, going into Pennsylvania in Q1 of next year. Wow. So it is a deeper, although the company's always been involved in all modes of transportation. So yeah. shipments going from anywhere to anywhere in the world, we're either handling those on our fleet or um, using trusted partners. And then warehouses and the 
temp controlled warehouses are really specific to pharma, med device, and biotech. And they're they're companies that really need high service, high security, uh, and and very expensive controlled space. Yeah, you mentioned the life sciences uh, uh, space. Is that a a niche? Would you say for for Langham? Uh, obviously, an important part of your business. It's an important part of the business. We still do business in uh, the automotive and industrial products and food, but this is an important niche. And really, although we started building our buildings before COVID, COVID really accelerated the interest. COVID along with the geopolitical environment and, and wars and choke points in the supply chain and strikes really for a lot of companies to reshore manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And they 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 spend capex dollars, excuse me, on manufacturing, but they don't want to spend capex on warehousing, raw materials, and distribution afterwards. So the pandemic certainly affected all industries. So I think what I'm hearing you say is, in a sense, there was you had some positive impact from from the pandemic. Yeah, we well we were part of the PPE reagent mm-hmm. test kit vaccine distributions around the state of Indiana. We bought bought some ultra-low temp freezers to put in the more rural areas uh, where there were hospitals and labs uh, to house the Pfizer vaccine. So we were all in and really understanding what what we needed as Hoosiers and jumping in to do what we could to help. And then since then, the, the whole idea of reshoring. And Gary, I would say, you know, mo- the last couple of years, companies, the ones that have won are companies that have kept these big relationships through the pandemic. Really, they kept them through sustained relationships, not really improved performance. Yeah. And now that's changing. So that's sort of the next iteration for businesses. So that's that's interesting. So it was really you put a premium on those. You always do, obviously, as a business on relationships. But during those tough times, really important to to fortify those those relationships. Right. Right. And now I think we've we've gotten through that. Mm-hmm. You know, rates went through the roof, ocean rates, trucking rates. And then they went back down, and now now they're really closer to uh, 2019 rates, mm-hmm. yeah. maybe a little above that. But now, you know, and we have spent the last couple of years investing heavily in technology and automation. Mm-hmm. But I think 24 and 25 will be the years of efficiency and yield. You yeah. know, and now yeah. all these companies were through the pandemic. Now they're looking at how how do we pay for the pandemic? Mm-hmm. How do we get our ar- arms around getting more efficient? And how do we have inventory certainty? Yeah. I mean, inventory yeah. was nuts. You know, we we bought too much. We didn't buy enough. We we Americans, and now we're trying to get our arms around what is the right amount of inventory and how do we get full visibility to it? So that's you know, I think those are going to be the twenty four twenty five initiatives that our customers will be looking for. You mentioned technology and innovation. Uh, and, you know, I, I think some people, when you talk about distribution and logistics, you know, they think the big warehouses and and forklifts and, you know, some pretty basic kinds of things. But but I know that that distribution logistics sector is very much a high-tech industry. Talk about how technology has transformed maybe uh, logistics since you started a number of years ago. 
Oh, wow. Well, uh, we are using drones to do cycle counts in our inventory. And, and wow. a lot of this is is birthed out of um, some of the shortages that we've seen around labor, and, and it's tough to find people. But we have bots cleaning our warehouses. We don't have, we, we have some um, automation around conveyage, but being a third-party logistics company, a lot of our buildings are not dedicated. So we need to buy and onboard technologies that we can use across several customers. Mm -hmm. And those are, you know, labor management systems. They are the drones. They are the bots. You know, they are automated, put away material handling equipment. So a lot of that stuff allows us to use our team for the best and highest use of their skill set. Kathy, as you look at technology and innovation, I mean, things like artificial intelligence, is that, is, is that, is that creeping into the, uh, to your, your space? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it is allowing us, you know, I talked about 22, 23, 24, 20, 25 and 26, everyone, it, you know, it's all about velocity and anticipating, you know, and it, there are a lot of, you know, knowledge workers will, retire uh, through retirement and attrition. And it just seems logistics and supply chain experts are not out there like they used to be. Mm -hmm. And so it's more incumbent upon us to be able to predict the future for our yeah. clients. That That's our responsibility. And we use a lot of AI tools to do that, really a lot of predictive analytics, as well as you know it, looking at heat maps and looking at the business today. How do you deal with uh, workforce? It, it's a, it's an issue that affects uh, most industries. How do you find yourself, uh, your ability to attract and retain talent? How do you how do you meet those demands? It's it's been, you know, it's been a roller coaster, mm -hmm. it, and I think it is for a lot of companies. You uh, you know, during the pandemic, it, it seemed like uh, everyone was willing to pay anything to steal workers from each other. You know, and I'm I'm thinking knowledge workers at this point. Yeah. And so everyone was overpaid and everyone, you know, went somewhere else. And then as as uh we reset, uh many companies realized they didn't need that experience and they didn't need to pay that much for those folks. So so then then a lot of people we're looking for that next job. So we we are always looking for the best people. We don't want to just fill roles. And and another reason, you know, for technology and automation, those you know, uh, low uh, low experience roles, we can hopefully outsource to technology. Yeah. But we are always looking at colleges, you know, continuing to interview, to hire interns. To any, anyone I see that does a good job, I don't care if it's a you know someone uh, in a restaurant. You know, mm -hmm. if they have great customer service skills, I want to talk to them because you know for us it's about it, we can teach the business yeah. at some level, but it is about passion yeah. and teamwork and listening skills and customer service and all that sort of thing. Is it an advantage for you? I, I assume it would be as a logistics company to be located in a state like Indiana, just geographically, it's, I would assume that's a, a plus, but as you think about uh, the focus on the logistics sector, you think about, you know, location here, the business climate, how would you, how would you rate the ability to grow a business in Indiana? Mm. 
Indiana is such a pro-business state, and it has been fantastic, whether it's Crossroads of America, you know, uh, more interstate highways than anyone in the country, 7,000 miles of rail, uh, four freshwater ports. I mean, I, um, there is no other state like us when it comes to that sort of logistics, of course, FedEx, and, yeah. and we continue to grow. And then uh, the people here. Yeah. You know, we always talk about it and it's true. Um, Hoosiers are different. Midwesterners are different. They do have a different work ethic and and they are a lot more inclusive than mm-hmm. a lot of states. And they're more welcoming, in my opinion, to to new ideas and new people coming in. And that's all huge for companies like mine to grow. Thanks. A lot of momentum, a lot of good things going on at Langham uh, Logistics now. But uh, let's let's do a big rewind back to the very beginning. How did it all how did it all start? What do you remember about those those earliest days? Oh, gosh. Well, I graduated from Kelly with a marketing major and a merchandising minor. And I interviewed through the business placement office to get into uh, retail buying. And the more I interviewed in that, the less I thought I wanted to work nights and weekends buying you know, placemats and stuff right. like that. Although I've been working nights and weekends ever since. <laughs> but I expanded my net, expanded my search through Kelly and ultimately took a job with a trucking company, hmm. a less than truckload common carrier, thinking I'll just do this till I figure out what I really want to do. Took what attracted you? What a, yeah, what attracted you to the to a trucking company? They had a great training program. They they actually paid well for uh, a kid right out of college, which I'm embarrassed to tell you what that number was now, but <laughs> it, I thought it was a lot at the time. And uh, it kept me in Indiana. I, I always wanted to be in Indiana and stay in Indiana. And um, it just seemed interesting to me. And that was way back in the days of, you know, and even now the bigger companies gobbling the smaller companies and went through three acquisitions in the three years I was there. Wow. And um, I'm, I'm a grinder, Gary. Yeah. I, I work, I can outwork anybody. And I was back then too. So I, I was, then I found out after all these acquisitions and a large sales team and I was in sales that I was the uh, top producer and the lowest paid uh-huh. and the only woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that gave me some good incentive and and really an anomaly in the industry as a woman mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, had lots of offers. So I ultimately went to another company who wanted to try a new concept in local terminal management franchising. So I was 25, single, nothing to lose. I opened their first franchise. A year later, I opened an air freight forwarding franchise. And then uh, a couple of years after that, sold both of them and opened this company. So that's yeah. how it all began. What What are your memories of, of starting a company that's always uh, an yeah. exciting, exhilarating, uh, crazy, frustrating? I mean, you can <laughs> use all the words you want. What was it like for you to start Langham Logistics? It, it was uh, exciting and scary. And, yeah. you know, when I look back now, I, I don't know if I would have done it if it came, if it was happening today. But it, what what I remember most is how people uh, help you. Yeah, I was looking for a truck dock on West Street, 
south of downtown in arguably the, you know, very difficult neighborhood. Right. And I was hiring uh, three owner operators and a person to work in the office. And um, a guy named Jerry Carter, who's been gone many years, I sat down with him and I was scared to death because he was big and he had a beard and he was a, you know, a trucker and asked him if I could rent some dock space from him. And he gave me five dock doors, built an office for me and charged me $300 a month. Wow. I mean, so it was, it's like people like that who just go to bat for you and, and believe in you and, you know, that's, those are my fondest memories of starting mm-hmm. this business is, you know, the interaction with people and um, whether it's customers or employees or landlords, you know, that they go to bat for you and care about what's going on. Yeah. And you mentioned it earlier, but uh, you are in, and certainly when you started, you were in a very male dominated industry. What what was that like for you? What were the challenges uh, that you faced? I'm sure you just mentioned one there that turned out very well. But what was it like mm. in trying to grow a company as a, as a, a female in the logistics industry? Yeah, it, it, you know all the uh, the stories and things that you think might have happened did happen <laughs> as mm-hmm. far as anything around uh, uh, chauvinism and all those things, but. You know, it's all, it really all comes down to work hard, solve problems for customers, and be fair with people, uh, and things will happen. So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, getting in front of customers as a woman was easier that okay. first time, that first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. believe me, you wouldn't get the second time unless you had something to say and could really, uh, uh, benefit them and find mm-hmm. some value. Yeah. So it, it, it was hard, but it was not, it wasn't, um, terrible. You yeah. know, certainly I persisted and, and went on. So, um, I, I've got to say for any young women out there, just keep going, keep eyes on the prize and, and just keep moving through things. Yeah. You, you mentioned women out there now, any lessons learned as you think back on, on those early days and, Lessons learned, anything you do differently uh, today uh, than uh, than back then? Well, I've always had this. And in, in fact, I told my son, who's 24, who just, you know, started a job in Washington, D.C. a while ago, uh, you know, whatever your job is, just outwork everybody and learn all you can. Mm-hmm. And and I still believe that today. It, anything I would have done differently, I mean, it, there it's probably the other side of that coin you know, work will expand to fill the time you give it. Mm -hmm. So I worked a lot. I had, you know, a lot of friends. I've got a great husband and a great Mm -hmm. family. But that whole, you know, work-life balance, I've always considered it's just life. It's not Mm -hmm. balance. It's, you know, work is your life. But uh, uh, I guess I would would have backed off a tad. (laughs) I was going to do it again. Yeah, yeah. Much more with Langham President and CEO Kathy Langham as the Business and Beyond podcast returns. We'll talk about Kathy's early years, her move to Indianapolis and uh, the path to where she is today. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. Stay with us.
At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Bank. All rights reserved. And welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is the president and CEO of Langham Logistics, Kathy Langham. And <clears throat> Kathy, we talked um, a bit on the first uh, half of the podcast about uh, uh, the growth at Langham, uh, your uh, early year starting the company. Let's go back even earlier than that to to growing up. Where did you, you did not, at least your earliest years, grow up in Indiana, right? Right. I was born in Detroit and lived in Warren, Michigan till I was in eighth grade. And I was number four of six kids. So I oh, have three older family. brothers yeah. and two younger sisters. My my dad was from England and my mother from Ireland. And uh, they moved to Detroit, had six kids in seven years. And then um, my dad worked in automotive and he was transferred with Allison Transmission to Indianapolis. So that's how we got here. So that's what brought you to Indianapolis. Yeah. So what was... What was the young Kathy Langham like in school? Was it was it sports, academics, arts combination? Mm. What uh, what do you remember about those those early years? <laughs> oh gosh, it, it was probably a little of all that. I I would say that you know it's funny when I look back on my high school years. My my most you know memorable thing was I I was diagnosed with cancer in my senior year in high school. Uh, you know, that sort of took precedence over sure. anything else. And so then it was it was uh, the battle was on for uh, getting through that and and getting, you know, I went to IU, had to quit IU, move back home and then get back down there and yeah. uh, and uh, get through college. And, and w- my parents were great. They paid for our first year. We we're middle, m- you know, middle income family. And then uh, after that, you know, they helped us when they could, but we were on our own. So I worked all through college, too. I didn't know that about the cancer diagnosis at a, at a young age. That obviously life life changing experience. As you think back on that, did that experience kind of help shape who you are today? I think it did. I, I, I think for me, I don't worry about the little things. Uh, you know, I feel blessed and, you know, I've had a couple issues since then. But I, I feel blessed to be here. I feel blessed to have a chance to, to, you know, to work, to build a business, to be in life sciences. And uh, I, I'm probably abnormally <laughs> positive and thankful every single day for right. anything that's going on. So and I think a lot of that is probably having looked, you know, looked death in the eye or looked, you know, Mm -hmm. a a significant illness in the eye and and get through it. You mentioned IU, you went to IU. Did you think about going anywhere else, any other colleges, or was there always going to be an IU path for, for you? It was always going to be IU. Um, My two older, two of my older brothers went to IU. So I really didn't know there was anything else. Yeah, <laughs> but IU and it really enjoyed my experience there. Yeah, we talked about the development of the company, but uh, I think it's also important to talk about with you 
the emphasis you put, the importance you put on community service, because you have been and continue to be very involved in community, whether it's the Indy Chamber or Indiana Chamber or any number of of, of organizations. Where, where does that 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 because that takes time, as you as you well know, it takes a lot of time. Where did yeah. that interest in community service come from? Well, my mom was always involved in that. She was involved in nonprofit. And um, I just like to network with people. And even the very early days, I joined the Rotary Club, Downtown Rotary. I think I was 22 years old. Met somebody that convinced me to join the Board of Meals on Wheels. And so I, I had a couple of stints on that board and gained a lot of experience about boards, about nonprofit, about leadership roles, and then continued, then joined the chamber board and, and went through the chairs there and CICP and Economic uh-huh. Club. And I, I was on the IEDC board for eight years. And, and you're right, it takes a lot of time. But it's a lot of fun, too. And like with anything, you always get more than you give. You don't go mm-hmm. into it with that attitude. But just opportunities that have come to me, like President Bush visiting my warehouse. I remember that. Uh, well, t- tell me about that, because I remember covering that and being there. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. And the, and the reason they found me was they went to the Indianapolis chamber and said, do you have some... And really, he wanted to talk about small business. And do you have some small businesses that, you know, you can put on a short list because a high ranking White House official would be visiting Indiana? Uh And I was on the list because they knew who I was. And, you know, I had been involved in a few things. And one thing led to another. You know, they, they asked me if I wanted to be on this list. And then the next day, the White House called. And wow. again, said, well, would you be open to a, a visit from a high level White House official? And we said yes. And, and then they checked to make sure we paid taxes and things like that. <laughs> but then the next day they called back and said, if you'll have them a week from tomorrow, President Bush will be there. And, wow. you know, and it went from there. It still it still comes up once in a while. I'll but bet. then in Super Bowl, you know, I, I yeah. was honored right. to be vice chair of that. And, and so opportunities come. And I would coach people just, just say yes to some of this stuff. None of us have time. Yeah. Right. It's it's just making it. You talk about various organizations and initiatives, events, all those types of things. Indianapolis, I think is certainly over the last, you know, my time here and, and beyond has this great reputation for, for volunteerism and supportive community. And so many examples you can point to, are you concerned about the next, I'll call it the next generation, if you will, or that next iteration of leadership? I mean, it, again, Indianapolis, I think is extraordinary in that regard, but there, I know I hear people talk about it. I, I tend to agree with it. I, where, where's that next wave of folks going to come from? Is that a concern? It is. And, and not just, I mean, we've got to look in the mirror and say, why, you know, have we done everything we can to bring this next level of, of leaders around uh, along with us? And uh, I, I can't say that I have, you know, but we need to continue to look at that. I think COVID impacted that too. People, you know, they want to work from home. They don't want to get out. They don't want to go to yeah. chamber board meetings. And it's it, it's going to look different. 
it's going to look different. I, I'm not sure what it's what we can do to impact that, but I'm all in if we can figure it out. Well, let's look a little bit to the uh, to the future as you look at the future for Langham. Where's the future? You mentioned the temperature controlled investments you're making. Is that kind of the next wave? I know you've been doing it for a while, but is that is that yeah. where things things are at going forward? Yeah, it's 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 going to be around that. It's going to be you know a future where innovation and compassion come together to help advance pharma life sciences, you know, through technology, through automation, through AI. I'm very interested and intrigued on all that. And it's, you know, we we will continue to listen to our customers because they they know where they're going and yeah. and keeping our finger on the pulse of technology and and going to conferences and listen to the market. So it's we'll continue to grow in in this space and find the best people we can and build the best, you know, family yeah. team that we can and just keep plugging forward. What are your thoughts on the Indiana economy overall, uh, perhaps as it relates to the logistics sector? I mean, we see things like from a strategic standpoint, the Leap District, the Leap Innovation District in in Boone County, Lebanon, uh, the massive investment by Eli Lilly and company there and likely others as well in creating these these innovation hubs, if you will, around the state. Indiana has landed some really big deals in electric vehicle components and microelectronics, solar, all those kinds of areas. There's some momentum there. But overall, as you look at the outlook for Indiana competitively in the world today, how would you assess it? I'm very bullish on Indiana. I, I think there are so I think the timing is perfect with all the things you just mentioned. And you know, IU, uh, our great universities, what we're doing with IU Indianapolis, mm -hmm. the the um the interest in technology and AI and life sciences from all the schools, along with everything Lily's doing in the Leap District and all the ancillary companies that come with that, Bio Crossroads, CICP, you know, investing yeah. in a big way, Lilly Endowment. I almost feel like it's a perfect storm of mm -hmm. timing to really get Indiana on the map. I was at a dinner meeting this week with a group and one of, I think one of our biggest challenges is marketing. Let's, you know, we've got so much going on. Let's tell the story and, and our own people have to aim higher and and be more proud of what we're already doing here in the Midwest. One more for you. I'd be interested in your take, and you mentioned it, you know, the split at IU, IUPUI, what has been IUPUI into IU and Purdue, Indianapolis. I, for one, think the impact of that potentially is enormous in what it can mean for the economy and producing more, more STEM and other kinds of those kinds of graduates in, in Indianapolis. What's your take on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Both schools mm -hmm. are all in on, you know, continuing to grow and really make an urban in campus environment, two campus environments down there that will really impact this state and this community. And we have a we have a chance to shape all that. You know, we've got you know, we've got great opportunities. We've got big problems in this community, too, you know, yep. around mental health, homelessness, depression, stress. Uh, stress, you know, and, and that campus and those people and those professors, along with the great companies, we have an opportunity to fix all that. And it's right here in our backyard. 
Well, Kathy Lang, as always, a real treat to catch up with you. Uh, thank you for all you continue to do from a business standpoint. You're growing a great company, but also your community service and the impact and uh, your real role model as well. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, Gary. All right. And thank you for joining us on this episode of the Business and Beyond podcast. We are a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download every episode and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.